We've been looking at a series called, in our Learn and Discern part, we've been looking at the lives of a number of people in the, in the Bible. And as we look at the people we call heroes of the faith, heroes in the Word, we see that they're really only known for and famous for what happened on one, two, three, four, sometimes five days in their entire life. That's it. But the rest of the life was spent getting ready. So when they were called on those few days, they were there. If they didn't show up, things would have been different. If they didn't have what they needed, we wouldn't know about them. We wouldn't be remembering them. We wouldn't be learning from them as much. We looked at Joseph. We saw that Joseph, even though he was sold into slavery, God was using the things that he was doing as a slave to get him ready to rule the land. How many could see that one coming if you were Joseph? He then was sent to the prison, and God used what he was doing in the prison to get him to be ready to rule the land. Now, understand this. It was not the perfect will of God for him to be a slave and for him to go to prison. He did not have to learn what he had to learn there. What, what mattered, what we had to learn from that was, and people will get this sometimes, well, you know, God just might have a will for you to go to prison for a while. And No, that's not it. What God is teaching us through that is no matter what situation you are in, God can use it to get you ready for where you're going. It doesn't matter where it is. Whatever situation you are in, whatever job you've got, whatever place you're at, God can use it to get you ready. Even if you get unjustly sent to prison. And Joseph is the, certainly the sign for that. We saw in Joseph's dream, he had two dreams. One of his 11 brothers coming and one with his 11 brothers and his mom and dad. But that dream didn't happen for a long time. And you can imagine him sitting in the prison, sitting in as a slave, wondering, is this ever going to happen? Did I just dream something that's never going to happen? But he kept hanging on to it, and he kept doing what he knew to do. That's sometimes the hardest thing to do, to keep doing what you know to do, because it's getting you ready. To keep believing is getting you ready. To, for Joseph to keep believing, I am going to rule, I have to be ready. The day will come. I am going to rule. I have to be ready. And he stayed sharp. He stayed with it. He didn't let go. Till that day came. But when the day finally came and he was interpreted a dream and he went up into the throne, there was no 11 brothers coming to bow down to him. And for seven years, he took in all the, all the supplies that God said that they needed. Under, I'm sure, some opposition because here's this foreigner taking our money. And 20% of it for seven years. He had so much of it, they, didn't, they couldn't even count it anymore. Can you imagine what you'd be thinking if your government took so much from you, they can't even count it anymore? And they're just storing it up. They're not even using it. So Joseph learned in the prison and as a slave how to do what you do under duress. And it got him ready for where he was going. But he still didn't see the dream. After seven years, first year of famine came. Eventually, it affected the food supplies of Abraham, or uh, Abraham's uh, descendants of all his 11 brothers. Israel, his wife, they, said, they decided we're going to send the 10 brothers over. And 10 brothers come and they bow down to Joseph. That's not the dream. That's not the dream. The dream is 11. The dream was 11. And eventually, 11 brothers get there. And we said 
as we were looking at this, this is the only dream we have in the Word of God that I can think of that is not interpreted. All the other ones are. But actually, this one is. It's interpreted in the Word. We look at the dream, and we've always thought about it's predicting where he would go. It has nothing to do with predicting where he would go. What it had to do with Joseph, you need to get ready for what you're going to do when you're in that position. Because what you do when you're there is instrumental. Because we know that he'd get revenge, he'd wipe them all out. That would not accomplish the purpose of God. He could just forgive them and say, guys, it's me, it's Joseph, don't worry about it, everything's cool. That would not have accomplished the purpose of God. The purpose of God was we need to revive these guys. We need to put them back into the place that they were. They need to see themselves as being victorious over this. So Joseph had all those years to meditate on it and say, God, what am I supposed to do? And God gave him a plan. And that's why when you look at those chapters and you see Joseph going through this, it was difficult. He had to pull himself away and just cry for a while because it was so hard for him to do it because he didn't want to. But God had shown him, Joseph, I'm getting you ready for this moment. You need to get those brothers ready. You need to restore them. You need to get them back to where they were. And Joseph did it. What a beautiful story it was. But what an inspiration for us. And no matter where we are, we can get ready. we got a video clip we're going to show you. It's probably one that you have seen. Maybe you haven't seen it for a while. But it's about using the mundane things in life to get us ready for what is to come. It's a good clip except for the first 22 seconds. And so my guys have been under strict instructions to skip past the first 22 seconds and to go into another spot. And so we're going to pick up. But we're okay to pick up at 20 All right. We're good to pick up at 20 seconds. 22 seconds. So go ahead. And then in the movie, the, the master karate guy had a purpose for it. And we got frustrated because he didn't trust them. God has a purpose in all the mundane things that we're doing to get us ready for one day, two day, three day, maybe four, whatever it might be. He's getting us ready. We looked at the story of Daniel. We saw that the story of Daniel, Daniel had a, the king had a dream. And the king was given a dream. And who was the king given a dream by? God. God gave the dream. And the dream almost killed Daniel. Without Daniel being involved, the dream almost killed Daniel. If Daniel hadn't spoken up with wisdom, the word of God said, in counsel, he spoke up and he said to Ariel, why is the king's command so urgent to kill all the wise men? And so Ariel told him. And Daniel said, give me a day. We'll, we'll give it to you. We'll get you the dream and the interpretation. So what promoted Daniel and what was ordained by God almost killed him. What we learned from that was that some of our training days, some of the days that we're being trained for, may be lethal. And for some people in the Word of God, it was. And if they weren't ready, yes, they died. But see, God wanted you to be ready. Now, not everybody faces a lethal one. Daniel did, and Daniel rose to the challenge. And what almost killed him promoted him. We looked at other things with, with Daniel. We looked last week at, uh, for many of you who weren't here, we looked at Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and the, what they faced. And one thing we have learned from all these things is you cannot always tell, or most, most times you cannot tell at all when your training day will come. It will come to you as a surprise. Sometimes you may not even know. Daniel, we saw him do about one of his days. But sometimes you just wake up and things are different. 
suddenly there's a golden image. Suddenly music is playing. Suddenly things have changed. Well, we announced it last week that what we're going to look at here this time is somebody who failed in their, in their time. Remember the things that we said that we do to get ready? We learn, we practice, and we train. You learn, you hear the word, you study the word, you read the word. You learn. And then you practice. You practice by doing the word. You do what God said to do. You go out there, whatever you learn in the word, you do it. You do it by praying the word. Don't pray unbelief. Don't pray doubt. Pray the word. That's how you practice. That's how you practice. That's how you do things. And, and the, you, you do what God says to do. After that, you train. We, uh, we use the example, you know, people and athletes, people in the military, they do things to train that they don't actually do in the games or on the battlefield. They do pull-ups and push-ups and sit-ups and chin-ups and lift weights and things like that. But you don't do that in the actual game or on the battlefield. But these things train you. They get you ready. So there's some things that God will have us to learn, some things that we are to practice, and some things that we are to be trained on to get us stronger. And this is what life will do for you. It will get you ready. But sometimes, we're not listening. So I, I think a lot of times Christians don't even know they're supposed to do this. A lot of times we just get bored with life and we don't ever let life have its effect on us. We don't know. We think that every day ought to be meaningful. Every day ought to be great. Every day has to be something significant. And yet in the Word of God, that's not exactly how it went on. In Genesis chapter 11... We're going to look at the life of Abraham, because Abraham is a guy who didn't get it. We've looked at Abraham uh, a number of times, and there's no reason why we shouldn't keep looking to him. I mean, the Bible, how often does the Bible refer to Abraham? Pretty often, doesn't it? Do you have the faith of Abraham yet? If we don't have the faith of Abraham yet, then we're not quite there. Probably ought to something we ought to... Oh, to get to. There's some stories in the New Testament. I just love them because I haven't quite got there yet. Do you have the faith of uh, equal to or, or similar to the uh, woman with the issue of blood? Do you have the faith equal to the man who lowered the lame man down? How about the man who took up his bed and walked? If God were to say to you, rise, take up your bed and walk, would you think about it? Or would you do it? we got some things to learn from these guys, don't we? Yeah. We may know the story, but it doesn't mean we learned everything. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Mekah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Mekah, the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no children. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. We've gone over this before, haven't really gone over this aspect of it for a little while. But who did the promise come to? Abraham. Who left and took his family out of the land of Ur? Terah. His father. Why is that? Why, isn't, why didn't Abraham go? 
What was the word that God gave to Abraham? Oh, if you're wondering, we'll just keep on going. Now the Lord had said to Abram, said to who? Said to Abram, who took them out of the land? Who did God say make the promise to? Why did God make the promise to Abram and Terah take them out of the land? Now the Lord had said, is that past tense or is that present tense? Past tense. So they're in the land of, uh, they're not in the land of Ur anymore. They have moved on from there. They came to Haran. They're dwelling there. But it says in the word of God. Now the Lord had said to Terah, to Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What happened? I mean, most times, we, we, if you've been here for a while, we've gone over this before and you already know this part. But if you haven't, or you never heard this part, don't we always think that Abraham got the word from God and Abraham left Ur and went over to the, the promised land? But that's not how it happened. Abraham, with his father and his family, left the land of Ur and went to the land of Haran on their way to the land of Canaan, which was kind of a roundabout way, but that's where they, uh, that's where they went. And as they were there... He got, uh, Terah got sick. And so they stopped. And then eventually he died. Now, Abram is there with all his family. His dad's dead. And the word of the Lord came to him again and said, look, (laughs) let's go. Abram was supposed to leave the land of Ur, go to the promised land without his family, without his father, without uh, nephews. and, And he was supposed to leave them. He didn't do it. Now, in what we learn about as far as learn, practice, and train, where did he miss it? I mean, didn't he learn it okay? He heard the word. What did he do? He didn't practice. He didn't practice. He did something else. He went a different direction. He did his own thing. How many times have you ever heard the plan of God and thought you could do it better? I mean, you got God's plan, and well, yeah, okay, I got that. But God, we can do this, and it could be better. You know, if you ever get on a sports team, and the coach says, I want you to do it this way, and you get out there in the huddle, and you say, all right, coach wants us to do this, but we can do this. How many of y'all know what's going to happen? Even if the play works, what's going to happen when you get to the sideline, and you see the coach? He's, he's going to be upset. If you're in the military... And the, and the commanding officer says, go out and do this, and you go out and get a better idea. What's going to happen? Why do we think we get away with it with God? <laughs> Why do we keep trying to improve, improve his plans? If God says it, you ought to do it. Mr. Miyagi had a plan. Wax on. Wax off. Why? Had a purpose. Paint the fence. Paint the house. Sand the floor. It all had purpose. Just because he couldn't figure it out didn't mean it didn't have a purpose. It didn't mean it wasn't accomplished in the purpose. That's what he showed him. You don't even have to know what the purpose was. We still got it accomplished. You don't even have to know what the purpose of God is. If you just do what he says to do, it's going to get you ready. 
That's all you got to do. Just do what he says to do. It will get you ready. Yeah, but I'm in the prison. No matter. He can come find you when he needs you. He knows exactly where you are. So Abraham is not getting off too good here. So he leaves the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans, like he's supposed to. But he takes everybody with him. Now, when they eventually send back for some wives, they don't go back to the land of Ur. They said, let's go back to my relatives. But where do they go? The land of Haran. Why? Because that's where all the family is. The whole family left the land of Ur and went with Abram. But they weren't supposed to. They're supposed to do something different. So apparently, he's not doing so well. But he, God gave him a second chance. Right? God comes to him, reminds him, look, leave your family. Leave the land of Ur. Leave it where you're at. Going down to a land I'm going to show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Was that what's supposed to happen? What's he supposed to do? Leave them all behind. Yeah, but it's just, I mean, I took a whole bunch of them before. I'm just taking one now. We're doing better. We're leaving the rest behind. We're just taking the one. How is Abraham doing and practicing? Not very good, is he? Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, and they gathered in all the people whom they acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. Hmm, got even worse. <laughs> and Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, and all they gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. You think he still has some extra baggage? <laughs> if he was taking one of the airlines today, they'd say, sorry, that's overweight. <laughs> Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. So he gets the promise again. I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give you from Bethel on the west, Ai on the, the east. Build an altar. Everything seems good. Except we have an extra passenger, a couple passengers there. But it seems to be all right. We're, we're still seeing him going. How many of y'all know sometimes we change the, uh, the plan of God and it still seems to be going okay for a little while? Sometimes we think, well, it must be okay then. So what did Abraham practice so far? Well, first off, incomplete obedience. Do you know that sometimes we as Christians practice incomplete obedience? If you practice incomplete obedience, what are you going to generate? What if you went up to a basketball player and you saw him on the foul line shooting hoops, just shooting foul, foul shots, and everyone was missing? And you went up to him and said, what's, what's going on? What are you doing? I'm practicing missing foul shots. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> you don't have to practice missing foul shots. You can do that without any practice at all. You have to practice getting it in. But we practice incomplete obedience. How many of y'all know your kids are really good at incomplete obedience? When they're little, they obey what they want to. 
They're good at incomplete obedience. Here's the second one. Incomplete listening. God does not like to repeat himself. But you're, you're making him repeat himself. So already two times God's had to come to Abram and say, leave your land to go to a land that I show you. Leave your family. Go to a land that I show you. Leave. He, he's telling them, but he's, uh, he's not getting it. We practice incomplete listening. We do that sometimes with people that we know down here on the earth. Shut out some parts that they're saying. If you practice incomplete listening, what are you going to generate? When it comes time and the day of training is coming, what are you going to do? I'm not going to listen completely and I'm not going to obey completely, which means you're going to blow it, man. You're going to mess up. Here's the third thing. Incomplete obedience, incomplete listening, and completely my way. If you don't go God's way, whose way are you going? Your way. If you do part of what God says and part of what you think you ought to do, whose way have you gone? 100% your way. I go with the parts of God that I agree with. So it's still my way. Then I change the ones that I don't quite think are right. Now, for us, what will this reinforce? What will it reinforce in our life? First off, it reinforces flesh over faith. Isn't that right? When we do this, we are practicing, reinforcing flesh over faith. Now, just think about this in, in the diet area. How many have ever gone on a diet? You go on a diet. How many know what it's like to practice flesh over whatever the book says? Whatever the diet says. Right? I mean, the diet says you're supposed to eat this, this, and this, but that doesn't look so good. The flesh says pizza. Right? Mashed potatoes, gravy, stuff like that. Yeah, we're practicing flesh, not faith. That's what we're doing. We're practicing it. Don't, uh, don't practice that. So that's where fasting comes in to help out. Fasting is good. I told you this story before, but Brother Hagin used to tell us he used to fast uh, one day a week or two days a week, sometimes, something like that, or sometimes a period of days. But said then, then God turned them on to the fasted life. Where he says, every day you just don't eat all that you want. Every day you take authority over your flesh. Every day. Well, I did some of those things where you fast for a day, fast for a couple of days, stuff like that. I learned there's a whole lot more out of fasted, fasted life than there is out of fasting days. Now, I get what you can out of the fasting days. But I tell you what, he taught us well in that. That, that fasted life was something else. And it's something that you keep on going through and you keep on doing. Every time you say, sometimes you say no to a meal. Sometimes you just say no to a full meal. You keep that, that flesh in line. It's a constant battle. Reinforces natural, not supernatural. If I'm used to operating in the natural instead of the supernatural, we're not talking spectacular. Just talking about supernatural, just something from God. We practice restlessness, not patience. We're practicing these things. If you practice those things, you get good at it. We shouldn't be doing so. Let's take a look at some obstacles that he's going to face here in the, in the way. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, Now there was a famine in the land. A famine in what land? The land of Canaan, the land God told him to go to. God told him to go. Now he's late. He's not getting there when he should have been because they were over there hanging out in Haran for a little while. But he is there, and God told him to get there. Have you ever had God tell you go to a place and it's not quite as good as you want? 
you will find this happen often. God calls you to a place, and when you get there, it is not as nice as you thought. You thought it would be a whole lot better than this. <laughs> I told you the story of that with, with a, a couple of jobs. The, the first job I had when I was going down to Raymond. And I walked into, you know, practicing listening to your spirit. Walked into the Ken's Pizza restaurant. First place I applied to. Walked into Ken's Pizza, put the application in. And uh, the manager wasn't there. So I went on to, I was going to go over to Skaggs Alpha Beta. I think there are another name now, but it was Skaggs Alpha Beta. I was going to put an application in there. There was a church's fried chicken. I was going to go put an application in there. I had it all mapped out where I was going to go. And so I walked out of the Ken's Pizza, walked on over to the, heading over to the Skaggs Alpha Beta to put an application in there. And on the way, the Spirit of God said on the inside, why bother? That's where you're going to work. I said, okay. So I went home. Came back the next day, manager's still not there. Came back the day after that, finally the manager was there. I think it was either two days, three days, it was, it was a while. I didn't go any other places. Spirit of God said to me, that's where you're going to work. I didn't ask him the second day, is this where I'm going to work? He told me the day before. You practice listening. I didn't ask him again. Came back another day. Didn't uh, say, well, I haven't been able to find, should I go find something? No, I didn't do it. Just stayed there. Went in there and, and finally the manager was there, hired me on the spot. I got a job now. Showed up for work. And when I got in there to work, I was the only Raymond student who worked in there. They had other Raymond students who worked in there in the past and didn't leave a very good impression. So they, uh, they were kind of skeptical about me. And the manager was dealing drugs out of the back. Out of behind the thing I found out later on, there was sexual immorality like I had never seen in my life. Understand, I had never seen it in my life. <laughs> but here it was. It was all over the place. And I'm thinking, dear Lord, what am I into here? The talk of the people was horrible. And it didn't take me more than a couple of weeks saying, Dear God, I'm sorry, I missed it. I was absolutely positive I missed it. I, I, I thought I heard from you. I just know I missed it. I know I missed it. But what are you doing? You're practicing listening. What did God say? That's where you're going to work. I stuck it out. Oh, and it got worse. It got worse. The manager could care less what was happening there at the, at the place. And I don't know if I remember me telling you this. I know years and years ago I probably told you this story, but we, it came to a to a head in this place, where it's, um, uh, the manager we were short, we were really short staffed. Somehow I got on day shift. I think we were off from school, and they needed some help on day shift. And so I came on in on, on the day shift and was helping out on the day. There was one waitress, there was me, and I've only been there for about a month or two, not real long, and a brand new cook, brand, first day, first day, and the manager. And we got hit hard on lunch. We had one waitress, one cook, I'm really inexperienced, one, one person who had no experience, and a manager. With top all that, all that off, we had Leprino coming in. That's a big tractor-trailer truck that comes in and brings all the food for the week. And we got hit real hard for lunch, so we had dishes piled up because the guy's new guy. He doesn't know how to do the dishes as fast as an experienced guy. So there's dishes piled up. There's... Uh, uh, tables that are dirty because we have one waitress. It was nasty. The place looked awful. And after the lunch rush was over, the manager turns around and he looks at us and he says, man, I hate to do this to you, but I have to go. <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you what. This was, this was not, I go, my jaw almost hit the floor. So you're, the, you're the manager. You're going to leave us with this. And something just rose up on the inside of me. This is not going to happen. 
And so now the, the waitress was there, a good friend of mine, and she had plenty of experience. She had years of experience in this place. And so I, I pulled her aside and said, look, we've got to get a plan. You run the front. You just run the front. You do everything in the front here. You run the table, the ovens, the homes. You do it all. I'm going to go in the back there, and I'm going to get us ready for the Leprino order coming in. We just, we just mapped it out. We had it all mapped out, what we we're going to do, what the new guy was going to do, and how we we're going to do it. And so by the time the manager came back in at 4.30, we had all the dishes done, all the orders taken care of, Leprino put away and rotated, all the prep done for the evening shift, and mopped the floor. So you should have seen it when the manager came in. Manager came in. He looked around and he says, what happened? Did Leprino not come today? I just looked up casually and said, no, they came. <laughs> and that was it. But he left us there. Now, you would look at that and say, that's a, that's a bad day. That shouldn't happen. But you see, we all rose up and we, and we did some stuff. What I didn't know was it put me on the map with the original manager. He had his eye on me. And when he took over the store, they fired the manager shortly after that. They caught on what he was doing. They fired him. He actually singled me out, gave me a raise, gave me a promotion. And he set me himself, he set me on a fast track to be in the office. He was going to bring me in the office. Gave me an offer. I left it on the table. But he gave me an offer that I would have been take care of for life. Company car, worked in the office. Didn't have to work a restaurant job, but would have worked days, hardly any weekends. And would have been set. And... Um, that was, that was a day we, we all rose up to the challenge. Instead of just sulking and feeling bad, you don't know when these days are going to come up. But some of these days come up and they, they get you ready for what's, what's happening. God wasn't getting me ready for working at Ken's Pizza for life. He's getting us ready for other things. And I took a job over at Kelsner's Horse Riders. I prayed to God. I said, God, I need a job that's going to do this, 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 and this. Gave him a list of some things and said, besides that, I want more money. And along came a job that did this, 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 and everything. Everything I asked her to do, it did. And it was, it was pretty much nine to five, daytime hours, and paid good money. And I had to think about it. <laughs> I mean, it did everything. But finally, I went ahead and I accepted it, took the offer, and I went on in there. And it was the worst job I had had ever for a couple months. Not a couple weeks, a couple months. It was the worst job ever. To the low point was I was driving around in the step van on a folding beach chair. Folding beach chair. You know what happens when you put the brakes on in the step van and you're in the folding beach chair? There is no safety belt. And the, the chair is not attached to the floor. It was bad. I was supposed to be learning the route. They didn't have the second chair. I can't see out the window. I'm sitting in the, in the thing. And the worst part was it was wintertime. And the, I don't know if you ever, the step van is like the UPS trucks. All they do is they blow hot air on you. They don't heat up the, the place inside. They just blow hot air on you. So if you're in the driver's seat, you're getting hot air blown on you. I was not in the driver's seat. I was in the back, and there was no hot air. It was cold. I froze all the way through. I said, dear God, I missed it. I know this was not the job for, for me. I know this is not what you have for me. Just because you show up where God said to go doesn't mean everything's going to be peachy. You better learn that right off the bat. Just because you're in God's place doesn't mean everything's nice. Abraham shows up in the land that God told him to go, and there's a famine. How many know famine's not good? So, obviously, God made a mistake. This is what Abraham's practicing, right? 
God made a mistake here. We need to change it up a little bit. God forgot that I could take my relatives, that they would help me. God, God made a mistake. So God made a mistake. And so what's he do? Now there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt. So God says, go to a land I'm going to show you. He goes to the land, looks around, says, all right, we're out of here. Let's go to Egypt. What was the problem that the children of Israel kept saying when they were wandering in the wilderness? Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go to Egypt. Where they got it from? <laughs> right here. They got it from Abraham. They got it from their dad. When things are bad, go down to Egypt. You ever have a place you go that's comfortable? Abraham, Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there. Here, where's he supposed to dwell? The land of Canaan. For the famine was severe in the land. Oh, well, it was severe. If he'd known it was severe, well, what should he have done? Listen to God. God, what do you want me to do? I want you to plant in the land. But there's a famine. That's right, plant. Your stuff's going to grow. No one else's. He had an opportunity there. He lost it. Why? He went down to Egypt. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, what happened when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Here's a question for you. Why didn't he think that when he went to Canaan? Are there no men in Canaan? Why doesn't he think this when they go to Canaan? Why is it he thinks this when he goes to Egypt? You step out of the will of God, you start to become fearful of stuff. Therefore, what happened when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is my, his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman and she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commanded her to Pharaoh, commanded her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Abram's going on down there. You just say you're my sister. He does. He, he gets favor with the king. The Pharaoh says, I, li I like this woman. Let's, uh, let's get some favor with the brother. Let's give him stuff. So he's getting stuff. He's liking this. I don't know. This following God stuff isn't so hard. This is, uh, this is all pretty good. We, we're, doing, we're, doing, we're not in the land of famine. We got all this stuff coming in. This is great. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Well, I guess he's got some more stuff now. But that wasn't supposed to, he wasn't supposed to go to Egypt. He wasn't supposed to encounter that problem. And when he did encounter that problem, what should he have done? Trusted God. God, I thank you that you have called my, my wife and I to have a child. And that you're going to bless all the nations through that child. But he didn't do that. He got fearful. And he reacted that way. What's he practicing? Incomplete obedience. He's, he's not practicing the good thing. He's, he's practicing doing it completely his way. Chapter 13, verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. He went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. 
between Bethel and Ai. Now he's back where you started from. Now he may be looking and says, I got more stuff now. We got so much stuff that Lot and I, we can't, can't exist together. Lot also who went with Abraham had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Why, if you're in the place where God wants you to be, is there strife? Because someone's not supposed to be with you. And the Canaanites and the parasites, uh, the Canaanites and the parasites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please, let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before us? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will take the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, <clears throat> like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. And Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other, and Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk and land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And built an altar there to the Lord. Now, Abraham is not a failure on all fronts. Here he succeeds. He says, all right, we need to have this place where we separate. You pick which way you want to go. I'll go the other way because God will bless me wherever I go. That's good confidence, isn't it? He did real good there. So I put this in your outline. Is there growth? Well, in faith for wealth, there's growth, isn't it? His wealth is growing. But in faith for a son, No. He's not, he's not quite getting that. You can have faith build in some areas and not in others. Some people have great faith for healing. And very little faith that God will pay my bills. Very little faith that God will prosper the things in my hand. You can be real strong in faith in one area and weak in another. Just like if you're a bodybuilder. You can have real strong arms and real tiny legs. Just because you're a bodybuilder doesn't mean the whole body gets built. What gets built is what you develop. You've got to make sure you develop all these things. Well, in Genesis chapter 14, we're not going to read that. You can go back there and read that later on if you want to. But there's war of many kings. All these kings came on down and they fought against Sodom and Gomorrah and they took Lot prisoner. So Abraham took his 200 trained soldiers. No, his servants. 200 servants. And they went after these five kings and defeated them in battle. And brought back Lot. And the king of Sodom wanted to reward him. And he says, I don't need your money. Because he has plenty of faith for money. That, that works out just fine. So he gave him all his stuff. He meets Melchizedek, gives Melchizedek the tithe. And then we come up to chapter 15. So some areas in, in Abraham's life working real good. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Now we talked about this before some time ago, even in this series. If God shows up and he talks to you like this, are you saying that to God? 
Where are you going to get me? I don't have a kid yet. Are you, I mean, are you going to do that? If God, now I'm not talking about just in prayer time. In prayer time, you complain all the time. Yeah, it's so. <laughs> don't you? In prayer time, you, you probably just complained last week. Talking to God, how bad it was. How hard it is for you. How rough you got it. Right? So don't, don't, don't condemn with that. But if God showed up, spoke to you in an audible voice, you going to answer him this way? That just shows you how much Abraham has been meditating on this thing. See, he's got the promise. What's the promise say? God's going to bless your descendants. Your descendants are going to be like the sand on the shore, like the stars in the heaven. You're going to have, you can't even number them. They're going to be so many. It's going to be awesome. But he doesn't have one kid yet. So if you're, you're Abraham, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about the wrong stuff. You're not meditating on the promise coming about. You're meditating on the promise not being done yet. So he says, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. He's rich. He's got all kinds of stuff. God has blessed him all over the place. He's looking at the one thing you don't have. Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. No, no, not born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and, and said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And he goes on, and they have this little thing with the, the sacrifice. You can go back there and read all, read all that. And jump on down to chapter 16 and verse 1. <clears throat> now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has, has restrained me from bearing children. Who did it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, have you ever had something go wrong in the family? Go wrong at work? Who do you blame? And then the people come out of the woodwork. Well, you know, the Lord is in control. I hate that phrase. I really do. People throw it around like they, they think they know what they're saying. If the Lord was in control, why did the children of Israel make golden calves? If the Lord was in control, why did the children of Israel worship idols? If the Lord was in control... Why did the children of Israel have religious leaders in the New Testament who were more fit for hell than they were? If the Lord was in control and the Spirit of God was on a place to heal them all, how come only one got healed? And you can go down a list that goes on and on and on and on and on and on. If the Lord was in control, why did those things happen? Pretty simple. He doesn't control what you do. But just understand this. There's no person who can concoct any plan they can stop what God is going to do. Just trust them. Even if your brothers sell you into slavery, if the woman of the household accuses you falsely, and you end up in prison, and everybody forgets you, God can still bring his plan about. Don't ever forget that. Where we leave off at. All right, so the Lord's restrained me. It's his fault. 
please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. This really makes no sense at all. If God is stopping you from having children, how is his hand going to be on this if you, if you give him your maid? Maybe, we can get, maybe he can do an end around around God. God is, is apparently blocking this from happening. So I'll tell you what, it, while he's not looking, <laughs> what do you think? About the, do you really think that God is stopping this and we're going to do an end around around God? <laughs> Say, God, we got your, bill, your thing done even though you were stopping us. How does that work? That's what they're doing. Now, it's one thing that Sarai says it. It's another thing that Abraham does it. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid. The Egyptian gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, we've been pursuing the promise of God for ten years. Hadn't worked. Guess we've got to find another way. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And Sarai said to Abram, let me paraphrase it to you, the problem we got right now, it's all your fault. It's all your fault. I had nothing to do with it. It's all your fault. You shouldn't have done it. Uh, well, that's how it, how it went with, with that. Let's uh, jump down to chapter 17, verse 1. How's Abraham doing? What's he practicing? Partial obedience. Doubt and unbelief. Is he praying the Word? Is he doing the Word? No, he's not practicing at all. If you don't practice, it isn't going to happen. When Abram was 99 years old, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you, and your generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you, uh, after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you, and your descendants after you. Every male child, and he goes on with the circumcision, talks about that. Uh, we'll, we'll skip over that part. <clears throat> Verse 15, Then God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and said, Glory be to God, I believe everything you said. (laughs) Now Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? He had already given up on the dream. He was going through the the life with Ishmael and he just looked at Ishmael. All right, that's the son of our flesh. But that's going to be the promise. That's all we can get. And when God came... And said this to him directly. He fell on his face and he laughed. He said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So that's what he said in his heart. This is what he said with his mouth. 
Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Shall, he shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Hmm. He has been practicing for all these years, 24, 25 years, practicing partial obedience. Practicing doing it his own way. Practicing giving in to fears. Not standing on faith. He's been practicing it. Every opportunity he gets, it was supposed to strengthen him, but instead it weakened him. And he couldn't stand. This is the day that's going to finally change him. This is the day that's going to finally bring him over. And when we looked at this earlier in this series, uh, like the third week, I think we were, third or fourth week, something like that, we were in on this. We saw that there were some things that he did that changed. Because up till now, he's been having conversations with his wife, laughing at the promise of God. It's not going to happen. It's not going to come true. Verse, uh, verse uh, chapter 18, verse 1. Then the Lord appeared to him by the turban trees of memory. And as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down to the ground. Skip on down to verse 9. Then, he, then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening to the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? Not saying it out loud. And the Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to this time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, but she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Remember we took a look at this? We saw that the same two people who concocted the plan to birth Ishmael, suddenly she's not comfortable talking about these things in front of Abraham because Abraham had changed from the last visit. And he got into the place where he, we're not talking about unbelief anymore. What God said, he's bringing about. So she couldn't talk to him about this anymore. And so when she laughed, she did it in herself because she couldn't do it out loud. Because Abraham wouldn't put up with it. I pulled this from the outline we did before. If we don't change our ETC, we just get more of the same. Of course, ETC stands for what? Etc., etc., etc. Just, you know, the same thing over and over again. Yep, we're going to get the same thing unless we change our expecting, our thinking, and our conversing. And you've got to change it all the time. Abraham had changed a lot of his conversations, but not all of them. He didn't change his conversations with his wife. He had great conversations with God, not so great conversations with his wife. He had to change all of them, and he changed them all. He changed his expecting. He changed his thinking. He wasn't thinking anymore, someone else is going to be my heir. He was thinking, I'm going to have an heir. It's going to be through Sarah. When he changed all that, it didn't take too long, and the thing changed. The reason it took Abraham so long to have a child is not because God says, I want this thing to be really hard, so let's make you really old. <laughs> That's not what he's trying to do. The whole time he's trying to get Abraham into a place of believing, and Abraham is resisting, and he's not practicing. What would happen? 
if you had a boy or gal on the team and you could see great skill and great ability in them. All right, if you go home and you practice and you do this, you can get better and we can use you and to do this. And they never would. They never would. Are you the one holding them back? They are. They're not practicing. They're not doing what it is that they, they need to do. Put this in your outline. Doing the day-to-day and enacting positive change is our constant goal. Don't look at your day-to-day as ho-hum, mundane, just the same old, same old. Change your expectation. Change your thinking. Change your conversations. Get yourself ready. Just realize, I am in training. And there's coming a day when all that training is going to come about. Abraham has not faced this day yet, and he is 100 years old. It was one thing to get him out of the land of Ur. He didn't do very good with that. God still was able to, to get him through. He finally got to the place where he can, get, he can believe God. You can probably look at that as a day, but it's hard to really focus that on a, on a particular day or series of events. But there's a day coming when God says to him, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son you love. Take him out to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. This is the day God needed him to be ready. Because if he was going to bless all nations, this is the day. Everything in Abraham's life is useless if this day does not work. God says to Abraham, for nurse to work, I need you to be in faith. I need you to have this child by faith. Not by my compassion, but by faith. You need to be a faith man. i got to get you there. Not because I'm trying to hold something back from you, but because what I have called you to is imperative that you be in faith. Because God knows a day is coming. And if you do not believe me, you will hold your son back. And the whole plan will be stopped. So that day, God says to Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son. Take him up on the mountain. And he did. And he says to the men, the boy and I will return. But he knew what he was going to have to do. Raised a knife, was ready to kill him. And God says, stop. I just needed you to be willing to do this. That's all we need. And now God had the door open because a man that he was in covenant with, because that man was willing to give his only son, God could give his only son. Do you see how Abraham almost really messed it up by having a son before? Because to, quite truthfully, it wasn't his only son, but it's his only son of promise. It's the only son of faith. God used that. Your only son whom you love. And he did it. And God blessed all nations. That was Abraham's big day. And he was ready for it. And we all are blessed because of it. And it was after he was 100 years old. I put this in your outline for you. It is very possible for us to grow in faith in areas outside of our calling and not those in our calling. It is very possible for us to grow in faith in areas outside of our calling and not those in our calling. Abraham had great faith for wealth, for abundance, but very little faith for a son. Very little faith to carry out the promise of God. 
when he built that area up, that's his calling. Understand this, folks. The enemy is after your calling. Not just after your faith. He'll sacrifice a little bit of faith victories in other areas if he can keep you under. What is your calling? What has God said you're going to do? Those are the areas you need to develop in. Those are the areas you need to get ready. Because a day will come. God knows when it's coming. He's trying to do things to get you ready for it. He knows when the day is coming. And he wants to get you trained for it. I think I've mentioned this to you before, but I was reading an article in one of the magazines that, uh, that I like to read. And there's actually a warning. And it told people, it says, do not just go out and run a marathon. I thought that was the most ridiculous statement I ever heard. Who in the world is going to get up from the couch, put on a pair of shorts and a shirt, and go out and run a marathon? Who would do that? I, surely no one. My, I've totally convinced it. No one would be that stupid to just pick up, you know what, I'm going to run 26.2 miles today. Why not? So I was talking about this to some of my, my running buddies down at the, the group run, and guys that have been in a lot of different uh, marathons, a lot of different places, and they actually said, oh no, it happens. My jaw almost hit the floor. I said, you've got to be kidding me. People show up with no training on a marathon to run the marathon. Yeah, 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 it happens off quite often. I couldn't believe it, that people would be that stupid. <laughs> that, that, that is really stupid. You know, the first person who ran a marathon died. First person who ran a marathon died. We run the race after his, his uh, race. He brought, was bringing news from the battle. They measured it out 26.2 miles. He delivered the message and died. It's a good thing for a, for a race. And there are people still who run a marathon or run something that different and die. There's people who run longer. There's uh, ultra marathons. There's 50-mile races. There are 100-mile races. There are 24-hour ultra uh, runs that you run for 24 hours and see who goes the furthest. I still think you ought to train for those. But you see, there are people in the body of Christ and they're showing up for their training day with no training. They're as stupid as a person who shows up on the starting line of a marathon expecting to run 26.2 miles. God knows when your, your day is coming. And he's got all kinds of things that he's planned to help you grow your faith. Get yourself ready. The devil's playing some things to try and pull you down. But God says, we'll use those too. We'll use those and get you stronger. And you don't have to fear anything. If you walk into the land and it has a famine, God says, it's all right. I didn't send the famine, but I'm greater than the famine. We'll take care of this. If you walk into the plan that God said to do and it doesn't seem to be all that good, go to God and say, God, this doesn't look like a land flowing with milk and honey. I think it's actually kind of barren here. I don't like it. Talk to God about it. God says, hey, we're going to get it there. We're going to get you ready. Talk to God. Listen to him. He's training you up. And if Abraham could mess up for all those years and practice all the bad stuff and still come out on top, how many of you know there's hope for us? There is hope for us. Because we may look at our lives and say, man, I have been messing up. I have not been doing this stuff. I'm... Uh, Abraham's in the same boat. And yet, who's the guy that the Word of God keeps going back to? Abraham. The guy who messed up for 24 years. 24 years of mess up. 
finally gets it right. And we all looked at him and wow, Abraham. Man, great guy. Yeah, you can be that way too. Whatever it might be. You can overcome it. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. To win in this life. To accomplish the plan and the purpose that you have for us. You have a direction. You have a place to go. We may not see all the benefits of the things that we're doing. It may seem mundane. It may seem day-to-day. It may seem boring. But you're saying you're getting yourself ready. While you're doing this, stay joyful. Stay at peace. Stay in faith. Stay praying the Word. Stay learning the Word. Don't let these things go. Continue on. Continue on. Be like Joseph. Every day, getting up. Doing what he needed to do. Doing it well. Doing it above and beyond what anyone else would ever do. All the while, you're getting him ready. Father, I thank you for the things you're doing to get us ready. We want to have the full benefit of the training package that you have us in. We want to trust you. As you have said for us to do, we will do it. We thank you for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have some praise reports. All right. Well, if you want to be seated again for just a moment, we'll have some uh, praise reports to read. If you haven't got yours in yet and you can write fast. Um, This is from Bruce Jacobs. He says, I thank God for the successful soft launch online for our market network. I'm sorry. What's it? Market Hive Network Company. It says the word is getting out and people and companies from many countries are now using our online tools and services. Praise God for that. Sharon says, I thank God for saving about $20 at the gas pump every time. I like that price is coming down. (laughs) Um, Ray says, uh, Grandview Hospital has blessed us repeatedly over the past several weeks by supplying staff with free meals and bonuses um, for picking up extra shifts. He says, I have continued to praise the Lord for the concern for people demonstrated demonstrated by our upper management. Um, we've been very busy and staff challenged by illnesses. He says, I praise God for dedicated people to work with. Amen. Um, Jolly, this is awesome. He says, selected among 15 other chaplains nationwide to an advanced chaplain training on disaster and violence response. He leaves, um, it's January the 26th through the 30th, so he flies out tomorrow. So we're praying for him this morning for a safe trip. And we all prayed for this um, young lady that, Candy knows at the grocery store, she says, actually, for the male lady, she says, uh, came through her heart attack. Um, she's in rehab. Sorry, she's in rehab, and she's back to work part-time. She thanks our church for our prayers. Praise God. This one is from Mike and Eileen. Finally, very excited for you guys. Um, our house will be finally closing this coming yeah. weekend. After two and a half months from the initial contract, it will be over. Amen. Uh-huh. Any others? Uh, Mercy says, praise God for free lunch for the kids <laughs> at school. Effective this week. Amen. Praise God. Anybody else? 